Well, good day, everybody, and welcome to our next <clears throat> excuse me podcast for the seven churches of Revelation. We're up to church number six, which is the church in Philadelphia. Just before we begin, a couple of things to say is that this Sunday we have in the afternoon our gingerbread workshop event, and we have double the number coming this year that we had last year. So give God thanks for that, but also pray that we'd be able to connect well with all of those people. And if you want to come along and help just be a body to help out with the cleaning or setting up or talking to people, please uh, just tell Elizabeth Falk that you can do that because she's uh, looking for people to help. Also, just please keep note of all the Christmas events that are coming up. We're not doing this because it's Christmas. Uh, we're doing it because it's an opportunity to reach people about with the message of the Lord Jesus. And so please don't take a back seat this Christmas. Take a front seat, get into it, see what you can be part of. Okay, on to the passage to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? Well, first of all, I want to remind everybody that it's to the angel, first of all, of the church in Philadelphia. <clears throat> Excuse me, again. Uh, it This message is first and foremost to the messenger of the church in Philadelphia, which could be thought of to be the pastor of the church in Philadelphia. So the preacher, when preaching these passages, is first and foremost preaching to themselves. So really, you are when the preacher is preaching, you are listening to them preach to themselves and hear what Jesus is saying to them. Uh, have a think about the impact of that on each of these churches and how it's important for the leader to be taking note first and foremost of these things. These are the words of him who is one, holy, two, true, and three, who holds the key of David. And then that's explained. What he shuts, no one can open. And what, uh, what he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. Now, these are, we've been remembering that these descriptions of Jesus come from chapter 1, and this is something similar to chapter 1, but not the same. In chapter 1, it talks about the keys, holding the keys of the um, kingdom. Uh, sorry, let me correct that. Not the keys of the kingdom, but the keys of death and Hades. But here, the key is the key of David. Now, this is a clear reference to Isaiah 22, verse 22, nice, easy chapter to remember. And it's about Eliakim, who is in charge of the royal treasury. And he is given the key to David, key of David. And it says, what he sh opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. So there's got to be a clear reference to this. Uh, I think this could be two things. It's either or both that Jesus is the doorkeeper. He is the one who holds the keys of the kingdom. He's the one who holds the keys of the temple. He is the one who opens the door and shuts the door of those who come in and can't come in. But also it could be because Eliakim is in Isaiah 22, he is in charge of the royal treasury, which in some sense he is the one who dispenses the resources of the kingdom and it could be here that Jesus is not only the one who is opening or closing the door to the kingdom, but he is the one who dispenses the resources of the kingdom, the resources of heaven, you could say, uh, to those who are his people. And we'll find that the people at Philadelphia are certainly faithful ones to him. Verse 8 says, I know your deeds, and then see I have placed before you an open door 
that no one can shut. Now, this is either an open door of the kingdom, as I said, or it's an open door to the resources of heaven. I think it's probably both because you can't have one and not the other. Now, just notice that Philadelphia is not, there is nothing that Philadelphia is warned about. Uh, it, there is nothing that they are doing wrong, per se. It's not to say that they are perfect, but they are not allowing false teaching in, those sorts of things. They are actually, it says here in verse 8, they are ones of little strength. But they have kept their kept Jesus' word and have not denied his name, which suggests, doesn't it, that there was clear temptation to deny the name of Jesus. Now, what would the context of this denying the name of Jesus be? Well, it certainly could have been something uh, secular, that is the Roman political government somehow pressuring the Christians to do that. But here there is, pointing out in particular in verse 9, uh, the synagogue, the local Jewish synagogue. It says here, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though although they are not, but liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Now, it seems that the temptation to deny the name of Jesus was so that they were able to be part of the synagogue. And as great Travis reminded me today even of John chapter 9, where the blind man story is talked about, and the parents, they are reluctant to give any testimony about the blind man really being their son because they are fearful of being shut out of the synagogue, which had already begun for those that acknowledged that Jesus might have been back then the Messiah. So it seems that the church in Philadelphia uh, had the doors of the synagogue shut to them. Now, we don't really feel the impact of that. We don't really, we don't think about even entering a synagogue. We've got our own church to go to, that sort of thing. But the first century believer was a completely different story. They could very well have gone to the synagogue week by week and heard the teaching from the Old Testament and been understanding how those things have fulfilled in Jesus. Uh, they were Jews. They saw themselves as Jews. Um, but it seems that the Jewish synagogues were closing the doors on those who saw Jesus as the Messiah. So the greatest threat to first century Christianity was actually Judaism. And it was a Judaism that was opposed to the fact of Jesus being the Messiah. And so any Jew or Gentile who believed that, they were shut out. So there was a spiritual door closed to Philadelphia, and probably a secular door closed as well in the local economy. And so they had little strength. And yet Jesus is saying, there's an open door. You've got the kingdom open to you. They don't. You have the resources of the kingdom open to you. And they don't. Verse 10 says, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to, to test the inhabitants of the earth. Now, uh, since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial. Two things. First, the word that they have kept is the command to endure patiently. And that's exactly what they've done. They've hung in there. They've not allowed any... Uh, distraction or temptation to overcome them. They've not allowed, uh, they've not become lukewarm. They've not, you know, all of these things. They've really, they've really held themselves in there 
and they've endured patiently. And because they've endured patiently, Jesus says, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is going on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. Now, some have said, this is this a reference to the rapture and then the following tribulation that will follow? Well, um, first of all, uh, well, second of all, I suppose, I don't believe that there is a rapture. I don't believe the Bible talks about a rapture. Uh, but secondly, this certainly is not teaching it because if if, the, if this was talking about a rapture, then the rapture would have already happened back then and Jesus would have kept them from it. But it's got nothing to do with that. What this trial, that this hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth is what follows in the in Revelation of the seals and the bowls and the trumpets. There is um, judgments that come upon the earth and the inhabitants of the earth are trialed by these things. And the Christians are not so much kept from it or out of it, but kept through it. And that's the way that God has always kept his people. But he keeps his people because he's got the gates of the kingdom and all the resources of the kingdom open for them to be able to get that strength to keep going. Verse 11 says, Behold, I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have. And what is it that they have? Well, it's not a doctrine that they have, it's a person that they have, a name. They need to hold on to the name of Jesus. And holding on to the name of Jesus means that no one will take your crown. That is the crown that Jesus wears. That crown, for those who are in him, receive what he has, and he has that crown, as we saw last week when we're thinking about him being the Son of God and um, holding the scepter and those sorts of things. That was last week, anyway. Verse 12, the one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. Now, see here, there's a little bit of play with the the synagogue. And there is that idea that um, the, the Philadelphian Christians will never leave the temple. They will be part of the temple. Interestingly enough, Philadelphia was a place that suffered a lot of earthquakes and there was a, it was a very unstable ground. And here, uh, God, as Jesus is saying, to the Philadelphians, even though the ground is unstable and although the situation you are in is unstable, you have a certain hope and a certain strength. And even though you have little ability, God is going to be great ability to make you a, temp a pillar in the temple of the God. That pillar will stand and hold the temple there. Never again will you leave it. And then he says, I will write on them the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God, and I'll also write on them my new name. So there's three names there. Uh, the name of my God, so they're going to be marked, and we know later on in Revelation there is the marking of the faithful with the name of God on their forehead and on their hand, or their forehead at least, and uh, that is in contrast to the mark of the beast, which is on the hand and on the forehead. It's also the name of the city of my God, which is the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And that's in the end of Revelation, about chapter 21, 22, when we see heaven coming to earth. Notice that is the direction and the heaven that is coming to earth is the bride, which is the church. 
So there's lots of things to think through there. Also, I'll write on there my new name. And the new name that Jesus gets is in chapter 19 of Revelation. It's written on his thigh. First of all, it says nobody knows the name, but then on his thigh is written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. May your Bible study go super well. And may you really know that although we have little strength, we have the door open to the resources of heaven to be able to make it through whatever whatever comes our way. We can be confident. So patiently endure. See ya.